fourth dimension. You, you see, we can move in the other three. As the doctor said, up, down, forwards, backwards, sideways. But when it comes to time, we are prisoners. Hey, Doc, we better back up. We don't have enough road to get up to 88. Roads? Well, we're going, we don't need roads. You maniac! You blew it up! God damn you! God damn you all to hell! Must be some kind of hot tub time machine. Hello everyone, Kevin Markwick here. Thanks for joining me again for this week's uh, Lockdown Time Machine. I really hope you're enjoying this old um, waffle that we do. Uh, So I should say my special guest this week is the very talented Neil Brand. Uh, Neil is a dramatist, composer, author. Uh, He's been a silent film accompanist for over 30 years, uh, regularly in London at the Barbican and the BFI National Film Theatre, and throughout the UK in actual fact, and at film festivals and special events around the world. Neil is an expert on film music and has presented various BBC4 programmes over the last couple of years, including The Sound of Cinema, which is absolutely brilliant. and um, it was about the history of film scores uh, from Max Steiner to Hans Zimmer. Highly recommended if you can get hold of that. I'm not sure if it's still on iPlayer. Should have asked Neil, shouldn't I? But uh, I didn't because I'm an idiot. Uh, Neil has a very fruitful relationship with the BBC Symphony Orchestra, which has resulted in uh, London performances for his acclaimed orchestral score for Hitchcock's silent film Blackmail or the silent version of Blackmail, and the uh, Barbican commissioned uh, Neil to score Anthony Asquith's Silent Underground, uh, released a great acclaim theatrically and on Blu-ray and DVD by the BFI, and I do have that, and that is uh, worth your time. Fascinating bit of early um, British cinema. Uh, He's a regular presenter on the Radio 4 film programme, a fellow of Aberystwyth University, a visiting professor of both the Royal College of Music and the Royal Academy of Music. I first met Neil when he came to Upfield some 10 years ago, and might be more actually, uh, to accompany a performance of Safety Last, the great Harold Lloyd comedy, and that was a really lovely evening. Uh, We meandered a bit around the dates Neil had picked out to talk about, um, but we had a lovely time talking about Close Encounters of the Third Kind and going to the cinema and airplane and all sorts of bits and pieces and i should say now before we start that the orion burgess hill is no longer a flea pit it's a very nice cinema so um certainly since uh, the current owners have had it anyway uh so um if uh, no offense uh, meant <laughs> by some of the descriptions of that cinema in the past there's no there's no no way it's like that now anyway uh enjoy and i'll speak to you at the end yeah, so what I've been doing is just basically get, I, I don't know, do you think nostalgia's a good thing to be doing at this time? Maybe it's all we can do. I don't know. Well, this kind of nostalgia's fine. Uh, I think, you know, using using the World War II for political ends is not such a good idea, but I think the... Um... But I have this kind of wealth of stuff. Look, let me show you. I've got the, the book here. Oh, the listener can't see it, but this is the big ledger that I've got. Mm. which tells us everything well i've got several ledgers and then we've got everything that we played and everything and how much money it took how many people came in to see it and one of the things because you mentioned that you'd been to see um it was thunderball it, on the party thunderball on the party and when do you think that was 
You saw it in Uckfield, yeah. I saw it in Uckfield, yeah. And it was, I had a rough guess, it was 1974, possibly 1975. Right. So, certainly not 76. And why do you say that? Probably either around Easter time of those years. Mm. It would be around a bank holiday, either the Easter bank holiday or the May bank holiday. Right. So, what made, because were you, you, I mean, were you living locally or were you visiting or? I grew up in Burgess Hill. I didn't know that. So my my home cinema was your sister cinema for a while, the Orion. Ah, oh. yeah, well, that's still there. Yeah, and it's a two screen now or three screen? Ah, uh, no, he's got two screens in there at the moment. But we were we went camping at Nutley, my youth, my youth club. Right. Um, well, standing, no, not standing, uh, Fletching. Fletching, and yeah, well, that's right. By we us. would yeah. walk from Fletching. Yeah um and we went to uckfield we went specifically to the picture house to see thunderball and yeah, and yeah. And, uh, and the party great double bill and i hadn't seen either of them before well the party's an interesting one now isn't it uh i'm not yeah. sure we'd... <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. i'm not sure we'd see that uh made in quite the same way yeah sellers was you know he was he was milking his indian personas yeah. from songs from spinning sellers onwards really well from the good show onwards really wow i see my dad and i actually did used to do this we would go through the book and hoot with yeah. laughter at some of the rubbish that we used to play um and <laughs> yeah. some, of, some of his double bills would amuse even him um the one he liked the best was the fly and the wasp woman he thought that was highly oh, fantastic <laughs> very good they, well, there was an inspired one at the Commodore Aberystwyth when I was there from 76 to 79, yes. which was a double bill of Taxi Driver and Confessions of a Taxi Driver. Yeah, brilliant. Taxi Driver was on as the first film <laughs> because that was the one he thought no one wanted to see because they will, will be queuing around the block for Robin Asquith. That's hilarious. Taxi, yeah. That yeah, was the, probably the first Scorsese I saw. Uh, yeah, we... Um, yeah, that absolutely works because they're both Columbia films. Yeah, so because um, because those confessions of a uh, uh, the confessions movies were studio pictures. They were made by Columbia Pictures in the UK. I didn't know that. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean they weren't. I mean the, the the rest of them, those sort of adventures of a plumber's mate and all that horrible stuff. They were all independent productions, but confessions the the four of them, I believe, three or four of them, they were yeah. they were studio yeah. pictures. Oh, lucky man! Oh my oh, god! Lovely. Nobody came to see that. At all. See what? Oh, lucky man. Ah, yeah, you see, it was a bit too highbrow, wasn't it? It was a bit answer. ahead of it, yeah, but the previous Sunday, we had 300 people in for Soldier Blue and Carnal Knowledge. So tell me, Kevin, have the yeah. tastes of Mid-Sussex changed much over the um, half century? I would say so, actually, because uh, <laughs> we were we were fairly limited by... Uh, it was a strange time. I mean, looking at the the, the, the one you picked out, actually, it was quite interesting. It was like the early 80s. This is a really transitional time. And actually, it was also the time when we hit, we were starting to hit the lowest ebb that cinema in the UK particularly had hit. I think the lowest point of admissions was 1984. Um, so wow. we, were on, we were on the slide where we had 50 million people a year go to the cinema. When you think in 1948, a thousand million people went to the cinema. I mean, it's, wow. <laughs> it's a staggering decline. Yeah. Um, you know, cinema owner in 1948 was a groovy thing to be. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. They grew, they, they wore yeah. big fur coats and drove Woolsies and uh, yeah. <laughs> big cigars. <laughs> I watched a bit of a uh, smaller show on earth again and it, it sort ah, of brought yeah. home to you. Yeah. How those mega cinemas were, you know, mm. they, were, they were cash cows, weren't they? Yeah. We, we sat through that recently. We went to the centenary of the um, picture drone in Bogner and they ran a 35 oh, yeah. mil print of that. And, um, but yeah, I always resisted that film because it was, um, it showed cinemas as flea pits, which I was always a bit upset by. But of course, no, not at all. It's yeah. actually, uh, it's actually a, a quite a um, warm film about cinema, isn't it? Really, it, it is. I have to say, what put me off was the first twenty minutes. Mm. Bill Travers and Virginia McKenna are so fay with each yeah. other. It just drives you up the wall. You've had enough of them before you've even seen the cinema. Mr. Quill, uh, Tom, uh, may I introduce Mr. and Mrs. Spencer, the new owners of the Bijou. Mrs. Vazakali, the cashier. How do you do? How do you do, Mrs. Vazakali? Mr. Quill, the projectionist. How do you do? 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 And old, oh, where's he gone? Oh, it's all right, Tom. Mr. and Mrs. Spencer just want to meet you. There's nothing to be nervous about. Old Tom, the janitor. Oh, I guess. Oh. <laughs> well, they were so yes. terribly middle class, and yeah. Um, yeah. But they always took money in Upfield. That pair, no, they were they were the, they were a bit of a golden couple for a good few years. Oh yeah, yeah, no, I know they they you, you couldn't go wrong if no. you put them in a film at that time. Born yeah. Free was massive, and um, yeah. Ring of Bright Water, which traumatized uh, whole generations yeah. of children. I think that film. So what you've actually what you were lighted on was 1981. Mm. And um, that was an interesting week. Actually, the 31st of May. I don't know whether you, you looked into that. Last Feelings and the Last Snows of Spring. Do you remember those? No. No. Well, they were Italian movies about young boys dying of cancer. It was, oh. an, it was an actual genre in its, in its day. It was, a, oh. you know, people, people would come along and, and, you know, teenage girls would come along to, to blub at this lost love. You're kidding. I didn't know about this at all. I sort of assumed it was another form of soft porn. That I no, not at all. No, no, no. They were, there was a, a production called GTO Films, I seem to remember they were called. And uh, they were Italian imports, really badly dubbed. And usually it involved uh, young forbidden love in, a, in the, right. your, you know, sort of Romeo and Juliet love. You know, your family hates my family and you shall not be together. Uh-huh. And, um, and yes, then he would contract cancer of some description and uh and die yeah, slowly yeah. and and decorously while the while the yeah. teenage girls wept uncontrollably in, the, in and they took money they took you know they really took money i'm trying to find that yeah last feelings uh well we had 554 people in the week it wasn't massive but bear in mind this is a really bad time 722 pounds it played a whole week, Sunday yeah. to Saturday. Yeah, the double feature. So you got 722 quid out of 500 odd people, but they're only paying a pound a whack. Yeah, back then, one pound thirty, one forty. That's wow. all it was. Yeah, and we were once sure. nightly as well, I believe. But that was what everyone did. Yeah. In Burgess Hill, they'd have done the same. In yeah. fact, when when you were in Burgess Hill, it would have been was it still a Shipman and King cinema then, or was it a Miles Byrne cinema? Miles Byrne. Yeah. Miles had, um, he was an extraordinary character. He had cinemas all over the south of England and they were unutterably awful. 
I mean, they would, yeah. and but he, and one of the, I remember saying to my dad, "What does he not see how awful they are?" And he said, "No, I don't <laughs> think he does. I think he thinks they're they're, they're palaces. He thinks they're lovely." But well, the weird thing is, I knew straight away that it was a flea pit. It was known as the mm. flea pit, mm. and everybody called it the flea. So when I finally came to see smallest show on earth oh, oh yeah that's, that's the, <laughs> the reason being that my first 10 years were spent in essex near a town called grays and grays had two mega cinemas one was the state which still went on running till quite late on and it got this famous organ in it and the other was the ritz and the ritz did second runs and the state did absolutely first run knockout queue round the block and those were my two favorite places to go until the age of nine when I moved. So then going to the Orion, after having had this extraordinary proper picture palace upbringing and seeing, I mean, the curtains, I remember, had got flowers sewn into the bottom of the, of the see-through curtains, lit in green, so it looked like a little green uh, garden. And they would creak open, and then the green would go down and they were presented for several seconds with this completely white screen that was so shabby. I swear it looked like a, a sort of a modernist painting. It was just bits and bobs of gunk and grease and paint and sewn up bits and all the rest of it. And then the film would hit. And it, I don't remember anything being going bad or going badly or wrong with it, but it was just an unkempt, unlooked after cinema. Um, whereas I suspect at the state we were probably watching film, quite possibly magnetic film. I don't know. Would uh, it, it would depend on. Oh yeah, mm. absolutely. Uh, Mag Sound came in with more or less the introduction of scope in what fifty six was it with the robe somewhere around there, right? Um, and then because I'm imagine that the state would have had seventy mil. I would have thought. Um, yeah, might well have done. Which would have been six track. Beautiful. Mag. Yeah, it's still there, and it it's just a, a shell i think i'm not sure mary poppins hmm. uh 20 um yeah twenty thousand leagues under the sea uh those magnificent men in their flying machines those were all at the state and i just came out walking on air from those the best film i saw at the orion mm -hmm. and again it was with the youth club crowd was young frankenstein because none of us expected it to be as good as it was
some people didn't know it was a comedy. Some people thought they were going to go and watch an old classic horror. Right. And I've never forgotten just being in, and it was one of the first, first times I remember coming out of the Orion just thinking, that was fantastic. Because uh-huh. you came out of the Orion having had something of a compromised experience. How can I put it? Right. Um, if, for the big stuff, we went and saw it in Brighton. So I, oh, I, Brighton. forgive me, but uh, yeah. I saw Close Encounters at Brighton. I saw Star Wars at Brighton. Yeah, the well, big... yeah, of course. In fact, that's where I saw Close Encounters of the Third Kind for the first time, was at the Odeon in Brighton in number two, which right. was, I don't know if you remember, you went up the escalator. and that's there right. were Yeah, and there were three theatres up there. And the left-hand side, number one, funnily, I've had the 70 mil. Why they put that only in one theatre, I don't know. And the big one, though, the 900-seater was the number two screen where mm. they played Close Encounters. And it was the first time I'd heard stereophonic sound. I'd never heard it before. I knew you were going to say this. I knew as soon as I was going to be talking to you about Close Encounters, <laughs> that yeah. at some stage, either one or other of us would say, it's the first time I heard a helicopter going over my head before <laughs> it appeared on the screen. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But, yeah, and it, it, the, the sound in that film is extraordinary. And the way it starts with that, you know the, the 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 i mean you this is you know your thing really the the whole idea that that sting that comes up out of nowhere doesn't it it kind of fills the whole auditorium and then that enormous chord i get goosebumps yeah. thinking about it now yeah. being in the cinema and the fact the screen went from darkness to absolute blinding light yeah that time. yeah you know that was that was such a great idea it was because aside from anything else, it's cheap as chips, you know. So basically, how can you make a blank screen, make people expect something extraordinary? Well, get John Williams to score it helps, of course, you know. But it was that that transition then into so you had this crunch, and then the surround channel, with all of that wind, yeah. and the, the the is this a um, is this an alien spacecraft coming out of the desert? No, it's a lander. It's a jeep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. and from that moment on, you are you're completely captivated by the whole thing. It's yeah. quite extraordinary. The interesting thing is where you went. So when you picked out 1981, of course, that would have been the special edition. Ah, uh-huh. well, that's interesting because I remember seeing it earlier than that. Yes, you would have done. It came out in 90. Oh, hang on. Uh, I've got it written down here. It came out in March 1978 in the UK. Right. So you would have gone to Brighton to see it in 1978. I left. I, I went to college in 76. I still kept in touch with a couple of mates. One of those mates said to me, oh, I saw this amazing film called Star Wars. You've got to go and see it. I went and saw it, and it was amazing. And I came out going, no other film will ever be as good as this. <laughs> and then he rang up and he said, I've just seen an even bigger one, an even better one. And I was like, oh, you know, poke it, mate. I don't believe yeah, you. No. And it was Close Encounters. And I think yeah. actually he's right. I think Close Encounters is, is it, you know, it's... Star Wars to me is is an astonishing 
achievement and a phenomenal and a phenomenon and i love watching it and my boy absolutely swears by it but going to see going to see uh close encounters almost immediately after it must have been only a matter of months after i'd seen star wars brought home this idea that we actually had a, a relationship with these flying things mm. whereas star wars was in its own world in its own you know far far away and long long ago Close Encounters was basically saying they're up there and they like us at a time when and I think everybody in the country, well, you know, late 70s, early 80s, is kind of, you know, there was sort of treading water. We hadn't yet had the big social change that's going to come with Thatcher and monetarism and all the rest of it. Mm. The 70s itself was sort of slightly burning itself out. It was a, towards the end of the decade was very strange stuff there was punk going on in music which is fantastic but there was a kind of sense of sort of well what are we supposed to do now we're not the 60s we're not the 70s where the hell are we all going and in a funny sort of way close encounters kind of answered that because it went well you realize we now have the technology to seek out and talk to other life forms. and what if they came to our, to our planet and what if music turn out to be the common language how brilliant would that be that was a brilliant idea wasn't it that was really brilliant the um i remember thinking because we'd learned the um hand signal thing at school oh yeah <laughs> and uh, and whenever and, and uh, the other kids would go well oh, that bit of the air he's waving bye bye i said no that wasn't what he was doing <laughs> at all he was <laughs> he was it was, I mean, I can't remember exactly. It was Tar-R and Tarte and, and this, wasn't it? I, don't, I mean, yeah. I don't know. I remember being taught it at school. And so yeah. it made perfect sense to me because yeah. um, he stands up. And if Truffaut to, does it, it must matter. It must, yeah, must, must, it, yeah. it must be true. But what you say about <laughs> the 70s is really interesting because that's kind of how I felt. We were, um, I was, I was leaving school when that film came out and, uh, we were right at the end of that whole period of, you know, we, we, there was this sense that there wasn't anything they could do with us. Really. We were comprehensive yeah. school kids that were educated in the seventies. The whole system had been discredited anyway. Nobody yeah. cared. Nobody ever told me I could even go to university. Nobody even told me sixth form was a good idea. There were three people in it. You know, <laughs> it was like with Thatcher coming along, we would all be just swept aside and forgotten because there's nothing they could do with us. We, I would say we were stuck between metric and imperial and we were taught neither properly. That's kind of how I yeah, think. Yeah, well, I think education. that's very true. But um, yes, close, so Close Encounter Special Edition. What did you make of that? Do you remember seeing it? I didn't see it at the cinema. I no. saw it uh, subsequently either on VHS, in which case it would have looked pretty rough, or I might have seen it on TV. I can't remember if the special oh, okay. edition was winding up on TV. It felt a bit unnecessary. Oh, it was totally unnecessary, yeah. Um, but, and th this is kind of weird now, what I then bought recently for Charlie, for my boy, because mm. he very into his films. He loved Close Encounters, thank you, yeah. which is great. I bought him the Blu-ray, and we went and saw it live at the Royal Albert Hall, and they had the music played live by an orchestra, and that was fantastic. Hmm. But when I watched the Blu-ray, I realised that the big problem with Close Encounters, which I was quite willing to forgive at the time, maybe because he was such a massive star and because Spielberg was such a massive director, is that Roy's... Roy Neary's character, he's such a jerk 
to his family and it goes on forever being a jerk great once we get to building the devil's tower in his front room that's fantastic yeah and it, and it works but everything all the horrible ways he's incredibly nasty to his wife and his children and all the rest of it and watching it again with charlie i just realized it just goes on and on and on and on yeah I think and I think point. it's a recap from what came out originally because I don't remember him being in that much. Well, I think where you, the, the, there's a couple of things about that. My my memory, even from the first time I saw it, was I couldn't believe the chaos this family were living in. That I found really <laughs> unsettling. Yeah, um, I didn't like it, and also the idea. And I talked to American friends about this, and they they sort of look blankly at you. That um, and it was the same in ET that these American kids' bedrooms were amazing. I couldn't believe that you could have a bedroom with all this stuff in it. It just seemed seemed like a different world to me, and it just seemed perfectly normal to an American kid. That's by the by. But yes, what you're seeing, actually, the, the cut that they use in the special edition, he is more unpleasant, most definitely. And what they did in the Blu-ray now is an amalgam of those two cuts. It, it restores some cuts from the first one, and takes out some stuff from the special edition. So it's very confusing as to know what now is that. I mean, I think this is considered the, uh, you've got all the stuff in the um, power station that was taken out of the special edition, for instance. We're going to candle power in 20 minutes and all that stuff. But, you know, all that thing with the train on the track, you know, oh, I've, I've got a third of the car and the, a lot of that all went. So, no, you're absolutely right. But I think... Um, but his 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 um, attempt to make sense of the world becomes quite moving, though, doesn't it? To uh, after that, after that, yeah. like you say, the bit where the neighbours are all looking at him and he's throwing all the stuff into the you know into the yeah. window. But uh, yeah, and and, and you know, mm. going back to the score, that the attack, if you can call it that, on uh, the house on the woman's house. Mm when they're coming down the chimney and all the rest of it the music that john williams wrote for that has now become the absolutely bog standard horror movie music that ab almost everybody uses so those long slow kind of all that the, the idea of using the orchestra like some kind of weird squeeze box mm. that doesn't necessarily produce music but does produce these kind of odd changes of tone and changes of pitch that i don't remember hearing that much before john williams scored that movie mm. it's a it's a hell of a thing
I go on from Star Wars, mm. where he is being a 1930s golden age composer, to virtually inventing a genre. It's well, he's also cool. reflecting what he did in Jaws for Spielberg, isn't he? In that I, I'm using the music to show you something that you can't see, um, particularly in that sequence. And the more you don't yeah. see it, you know, we don't. It's very clever because I suppose we're seeing that as something. Well, having your kid dragged out of your house is pretty sinister, but we don't. We don't at this point know whether the aliens are friendly or unfriendly, do we? It's beautifully done, and, and he's the kid's response doesn't tell you either he appears no. to be delighted to see them <laughs> and it makes it all the better and all the more frightening have you seen the, the mom... um sorry go on yeah, yeah go on. No, you're but right. i was going to say have you seen the youtube it's on youtube i think and maybe on the extras where you can see spielberg directing the kid you know the scene oh, where yeah. he goes and the fridge is going and throwing all of the stuff out the you know obviously there's this oh, alien yeah. that that's digging through their fridge <laughs> and so he's telling you can hear Spielberg go, okay, now look over there, and you're, oh, look, you're surprised to see this strange thing over here, and it's really quite interesting. So he directed yeah. it like a silent, you know, almost like the way the silent movie directors would would say, right now, yeah. look, you know, or, or Coppola and his go by look, like you're left, fighting. Right. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. So um, and also that thing that it did that thing that cinema can do from time that sort of from time to time, where the surprise of the mothership arriving behind. I mean, you didn't see that coming, did you? You really didn't yeah. see that coming. And you have all this yeah, wonderful, yeah. and you think, wow, look at all this stuff that he's, you know, you've got the, the amazing scene where all the smaller ships are dancing around the, and you think, wow, I've just seen everything now. And then all, yeah. you know, you get that low rumble as this thing. Yeah. It must be one of the greatest moments in cinema, isn't it? Yeah, no, I think without a doubt. Mm. Help no end, I should imagine, by that sound, by the, the stereo sound. Well, of course, it was, yeah. It was such a low impedance sound, and it, it probably was shaking, mm. at least vibrating something in the cinema while you were watching it. The sun. And yeah, we yeah. all thought we'd seen, you know, we thought we'd seen the party. But the party really was a just... <laughs> it was just the... Yeah. But again, and Williams' we, music... Thoughts yeah. to that? Is it, is it an organ sound he uses right at the end when it finally the big reveal? But it sounds like almost, um, almost religious in its kind of you know this this sort of massive it's, sound gets bigger and bigger. Yeah, it it isn't actually an organ sound. It, no, it is the orchestra being used to create an enormous organy sort of sound. So I, would, I don't know if you clocked this. The supposed synthesizer conversation isn't synth in the least. It's all real instruments playing. Is it not? Place. Wow. And I wouldn't have known that until no. I bought the album because I bought the album. Natch. Yeah. yeah. Stuck it on, 
And you can hear that's a tuba doing bum, 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 and all that. The, the first one you hear mm. is a beautifully played oboe playing that first note right up high in its register. It's synced to a keyboard on screen, though, isn't it? Yeah. So it looks like the guy is playing those notes. Mm. But I should imagine John Williams just basically went, if you think I'm going to use anything that might come out of that keyboard in any of my scores at this stage, got here we got john williams basically saying it's an orchestra or nothing at the same time one assumes as you you've got you know coppola at the other end mm. sort of saying i want all the synthesizers that i can get uh, you know all his movies yeah like apocalypse now is very synthesized score isn't it yeah roughly the same time but yeah that 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 i i always love that sequence the, everything's ready here on the dark side of the moon play the five tones yeah and it's it's a kind of it's an essay in in gradual reveal isn't it that mm. you know initially you think these are just lovely buzzy lighty things that will buzz around then you realize that it's you know it's the creatures inside them and i know that was the third the, the third kind was when you meet them as it were then it becomes about the landing strip and then the bigger reveal is they are coming to the landing skip and ship and there's three of them then the bigger reveal is there's thousands of them then the bigger reveal is it's the mothership yes, the bigger reveal is all the people who we thought had died are coming back then the bigger reveal is here come <laughs> the aliens then the biggest reveal of all is the mother alien and it's like kind of blimey by that time it's like indiana jones you know that eight endings all one after the other each one bigger than the last one extraordinary um and actually um at the same time you've got this uh thing going on where people are preparing to go on the ship which i remember yeah. the first time i saw it that really made me feel odd it really did and that really that piece of um music that williams wrote is i think one of his most beautiful bits of music where they're saying you know, and, and the priest is reading may the wounded i can't i can't i can't hum the music but i think you know you probably know the piece that i mean yeah. it's a string it's yeah. a sort of plaintive kind of sound as the yeah. unknown is, is is about to be yeah they're about to encounter the unknown
it really is underlining you know these people don't know what they're heading to yeah yeah and weirdly i found it quite off-putting that they were all dressed the same Mm. so that there was some kind of uniform you had to have before you could meet the aliens and it's one of the things i love about the fact that it's only neary they let in initially (laughs) because they've come for him they haven't come this bunch of what appear to be cia trained hard right um you know couples that are the ones who actually are ready to go in there you know goodness only knows what they may be bringing with them they're probably all armed they're probably all you know probably yeah. all carrying well they would be now uh, probably doesn't bear thinking about but yes um it is uh i i don't it's one of the ones i don't tire of ever and yeah, we showed it recently funny. um in 4k at the cinema yeah. and um we were very busy for it, actually. We, we do these things on a Sunday where I show this. Basically, I, I exercise my right as a cinema owner to show what the bloody hell I like. <laughs> what, what's the you exercise of, your right, yeah. if I might say so, as an independent cinema yes, owner. Yes, right, really yeah. To do that. <laughs> so I, 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 I just pick a film and go, do you know what? I want to see this on the big screen again. Yeah. So, um, and we did Close Encounters, and actually it was pretty busy, pretty busy. Yeah. And just seeing it again... And I have to say, at the risk of sounding uh, a bit weird, it was the first I've worked really, really, really hard um, to get back that first experience I had with Close Encounters. It's a very formative thing. And that feeling yeah. of sitting in the theatre with perfect sound and perfect picture. And you know what? I felt I'd achieved it. I really did. It was a, a weird well sense of closure. Yeah, it really was. Mm. You know, that I got the sound how I sort of remembered it. Because we, you know, we audio memory particularly is very bad isn't it it's very short you don't really remember yeah but i also think that for those of us that have been really influenced by cinema Hmm. you you can't recreate really what it was like because there is a sense when you come out that there was the world before you went in and watched that movie yes the world that was there when you came out and one thing i remember this mate of mine saying to me when he'd been to see Close Encounters and I then went and saw it and then we went for a drink and had a chat about it. He said, everybody who came out of the cinema looked up in the sky as soon as they got out. <laughs> of the now that uh-huh. I think that that's, that is so much of the time because everybody's going, blimey, I wonder, you know, mm. but you can't recreate that now. You know, it's, no. it, if you're looking up in the sky, you're just as likely to be expecting Captain America as you are yeah i guess genuine realistic experience of me but the grow yes it was a more grown-up film than the average blockbuster that you get now yeah but Uh, i I think it still is i mean for all the fact that you know neary and rasford this idea that the childlike enthusiast will inherit the earth Hmm. i mean if that's not spielberg i don't know what is you know this this idea that your enthusiasms your loves the things that make you the person you are may eventually take you to places you never thought you'd go is a very strong timeless message for anybody to take away really no that's 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 very true um i couldn't shake it for days and days after it's the first film <laughs> i recall not being able to shake it you know it sort of stayed with me it was the first i was um mm. how old was i when i saw it i was uh <sighs> Uh, 77 so that would be one thing i was 15 going on 16 and it's the first film i recall 
mm. you know i couldn't stop thinking about it for days and days and days afterwards so that's close encounters of the third kind there was what else we got in there I'll very quickly just give you a, a um so that was what caught your eye close encounters last thing an airplane you also mentioned yeah i mean an airplane i know that 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 probably was nearer that release was it 81? that was on was, was that, that was no no actually no that was that, that was a rerun um so we played it ah. on the date in august 1980 but this was a this was a, this was still in the days when you could bring films back which you can't i mean you can't do that now obviously um but yeah no it played for quite some years after it came out every now and again he would stick it in again for a few days because it always did okay right. um i mean at that time it wasn't well oh we played it for a week a whole week and it was a year and a half old um 387 people not great 580 yeah. quid so i noticed well, I, I noticed you skipped over confessions of the naughty nymphos and uh teenager and i must admit i did when i was trying to think over my memories particularly i i can't help but see that kind of early 80s period as a bit of a golden age really because well i do remember and i may have got this completely wrong in terms of the day i remember walking through brighton down by pool valley and there was that four screener down there was that an abc, that was the ABC yeah 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 and they had four films up and I remember thinking, blimey, that's a bit good. 2010. Oh, yeah. Which was a pretty good film, mm -hmm. I thought. Mm -hmm. Amadeus. Yeah. Um, Passage to India. Uh-huh. And I think Room with a View. So, and I just remember thinking, that's a phenomenal four to be playing at, around the same time. They must have been first yeah they were run, first run. yeah yeah an abc flagship yeah yeah there. no they were first run yeah i mean i just remember airplane being such a, a bucket of cold water over your head in terms of what was actually funny that i i remember crying with laughter at airplane i was i was almost had to be dragged insensible from the cinema <laughs> at the end of it i i missed huge chunks because i was laughing so much yeah. and the only other time I can remember was when I watched Ken Dodd on stage for four hours or whatever it was he did, where you are laughing so much that you're bending forward to laugh and you can't see the screen. You have to sit back up again to see what it is you're looking at. I was laughing like that. It was the first time we'd seen that shtick, hadn't it, from the Zucker brothers? Yeah. I mean, they overplayed their hand and, and there were too many of them afterwards, but that was the first time yeah. we'd seen it. And the trailer, it was the first time I really understood the power of trailers because you had all that those great gags in the trailer and it had been running for weeks and weeks and weeks never has the screen been so big you ever been in a cockpit before no sir i've never been up in a plane before peter graves you ever seen a grown man naked kareem abdul jabbar my name is roger murdoch i'm an airline pilot leslie nielsen this woman has to be gotten to a hospital a hospital what is it it's a big building with patients, but that's not important right now. Lloyd Bridges. Johnny, what can you make out of this? This? Well, I can make a cap, or a brooch, or a pterodactyl. Robert Stack. All right, Steve, let's face a few facts. And we hope you enjoy the rest of your flight. Julie Haggerty. By the way, is there anyone on board who knows how to fly a plane? Can you fly this plane and land it? Robert Hayes. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. I gotta get out of here.
And in fact, we were showing at the same time. So we had the Empire Strikes, when it first came out, we had the Empire Strikes back on one screen and Airplane on the other. So, wow. yeah, happy days, that was. Oh, my, <laughs> my only other memory wow. of it is I had chicken pox at the time. But that's a, that's a strange thing there. <laughs> you don't have chicken pox when you're 18, I'll tell you. Um, <laughs> and have to go to work and show Empire Strikes back. Um, but, yeah, Airplane was... Um, uh yeah it felt like a real of your pardon the pun departure didn't it in terms of uh screen comedy yeah i mean i i, I would say this i wouldn't i but part of it was that elmer bernstein took the music so seriously so he didn't a comedy score he wrote a straight up score for an adventure disaster movie set on a plane yeah. um and so that meant that you were never quite moving away from the idea that this all could really be the case, yeah. you know. And it's, yeah, it had all the tropes, didn't it? The diddling, diddling, all that kind of uh, yes. disaster movie uh, sound to it, like air airport. absolutely adore alfred newman's score for airport which has got that kind of yeah. great big sort of thing going on which is yeah you're absolutely right which elmer bernstein did in airplane yeah i think you have to do that i i, I think so and you know it would, around that time a, quite a few of the golden age guys suddenly got pulled back in by either new filmmakers or new comedians the other one i'm i love because it's i've actually got the the lp i've got the yeah i've got the lp and the cd i think was that Roger's last score, Michael Roger's last score was for Steve Martin's Dead Men Don't Wear Plans. Ah, well, that was a good score, though. And it superb yeah. score, but it is exactly what he would have written yeah. for Billy Wilder yeah. in the 1950s. It's exactly matching the the kind of um, double indemnity style of music. Um, and that that's where, uh, um, yeah, yeah. Well, there's a similar story, isn't there, with um, Mel Brooks and um, Blazing Saddles. <laughs> Torch to light the way 
and of course if you listen to the words they're totally nonsensical you know he made his yeah. blazing saddle a torch to light the way but nobody yeah. told frankie lane that this was a spoof so he sings it with no, no. absolute conviction that this is a western yeah as it's supposed to be and that's absolutely what makes it work you know because yeah. you just, yeah. just just totally believe it i think they had a similar experience didn't they with um 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 what's his name doing the dad's army song <laughs> yeah oh yeah, yeah with bud, bud flanagan. flanagan you know yeah you know you just yeah. did it like you're supposed to do it but yes, airplane. I still find it extraordinary that that was specially written for for dad. Yeah, it always I, feels I, like I it should. Listen to it yeah, every time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You think. And what you can't hear is is a bunch of musicians sitting in a studio in 1972 or whatever mm. it is, or earlier. I don't know. It it just sounds exactly like it would have been in the 1940s. Yeah, it does. It's a, it's a phenomenal. It does. Capacity. We always um, with airplane. We I was terrible thing to admit here, but uh, I always cut the credits out of them out of it. Um for very good reason because there was quite a long long credit sequence quite a long credit crawl on it and at the end or the at beginning? the end yeah. and so you've got the the big the end like you used to in old movies you know where robert stack's still talking into the you know going well you know one of these days they just oh, yeah, kick, yeah. You, kick you like a mule i don't know and all that kind of stuff and it comes and you get the big kiss and the end fireworks and it fades out and then you get this long credit crawl and then that fades out and then it cuts right at the end back to the guy in the taxi who he leaves right at the beginning of the film going well i give him another 20 minutes <laughs> oh yeah that's right yeah yeah so i, yeah. I was used to yes it's, it's i was used to cut the the, the credits out and splice it together so yeah. you've got that joke at the end i know i shouldn't admit that but i remember at the nft somebody said anybody seen um meaning of life and i said yes and he said the projectionists have just said there's something weird at the beginning of meaning of life to do with stockbrokers <laughs> i said don't, cut, don't it. cut it off no because if you cut it that's that's the short yes and if you cut it they're not going to get the gag that the short attacked yeah. the, main film. the main film yeah does anybody notice how that building's <laughs> moving over there? Yeah, no, that the Crimson Permanent Assurance is a wonderful thing. That's the one. Yeah, no, that That's was that confused one. a lot of projectionists. Monty Python would confuse projectionists. Uh, I remember the yeah. first time uh, we showed Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Old Pete the Proj, this, this old school projectionist that we had at the time, was very confused. By the fact, because what happens is the they didn't have it, an it, end. It, it just breaks, doesn't it? The film breaks. You know, guy puts yeah. his hand over the camera. And it goes, yeah. and then you see the tail run off like this, which to a projectionist is yeah. an absolute anathema. This is no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> you can't see that kind of thing yeah. happening on screen. Um, and and they, yeah. they had to put a thing out that said, no, no, please, projectionist, don't cut the end of this off because you're going to spoil the joke at the end of the film. No, I used to, I yeah. mean, even as a, when I was a projectionist, I hated all that sort of adverts that would suddenly go, bruh, 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 bruh. Like, what? What is it? Yeah, yeah. What's happening? Why is it doing that? Oh, my God. Yeah. So, yes. Okay. Well, that's uh, 1981. There's a famous one of those just before, before we yes. wind up, is a, which has become a, a film that I've used for teaching time and time and time again back in the 1950s called The Innocents, which I'm sure you yeah. know. Turn of the screw. Debra, it? yeah. her, mm. It's a ghost story. Yeah. But the opening minute 
is just sound. Right. And you kind of need it because the idea is that you're sitting in the cinema and the curtains haven't opened and you start to hear this song sung by a young boy, Oh Willow Whaley. Mm. And the curtains don't even open. You don't even get the Fox logo until you've been listening to that for a minute. And of course, the load of projectionists just went, "Oh well, I'll, I'll cut off before the fox logo, and we'll we'll, yeah. we'll we'll join it up there." Yeah. So what happened then was that the innocent started with, "Well, we need to be informed. We need to be informed. That's the thing." <laughs> and actually, it happens to this very day that we don't get any information about what's in the film. Or that if you need to do this no. or that, or the ratio's different, or the we're kind of um, when and when you think about it, we can really bugger your film up. You've spent all this time and all this money, and we can really sod your film up. And yeah. we should get a little bit more respect for that because actually, one of my dad's things was that you know our job actually is to be invisible, totally invisible. If you notice we're there, we've yeah. not done our job very well because you know yeah, yeah. that's the thing. Okay, well, I've kept you long enough, sir, wittering on like a simple-minded horse. Not at horse. all. Good, uh, very enjoyable <laughs> chat, Kevin. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Thank you for doing this. It's absolutely brilliant. And hopefully, who knows when we're going to get going again. I don't know. Thank you to Neil for that. That was absolutely fantastic, and I really enjoyed myself having having a lovely chat with him. Um and really grateful that he would give up his time, his precious time, to, to, to speak to me. I hope you enjoyed it as well. So, uh, a few things to point out um, before we go. Uh, as Neil and I did play a bit fast and loose with some of our dates, uh, Close Encounters was released in the UK in March 1978. Uh, the reason I went to Brighton to see it wasn't because I was a splitter or anything. Um, it's because we didn't play it in Upfield until September the 3rd of that year. Now, racking my brain, I'm pretty sure. I mean, those of you who listened to earlier shows, particularly the one set in, uh, about all the 70s, will know that my dad was reticent to play films for uh, too long, particularly in a single screen. So my guess is um, uh, he didn't want to play the film for four weeks, which is what Columbia would have insisted on when the film came out earlier in the year, in March. And the terms were probably quite steep as well. I mean, these days they can't ask for four weeks. It's illegal. But at that time, they could insist on it. Uh, and probably September was the first time it went down to two weeks only. Um, and oddly, uh, it had a good first week, uh, 1,253 admissions. And a terrible second week, 537 admissions. So I don't understand why that is. Go figure. Anyway, uh, the year with all the wonderful films at the ABC Brighton would have been 1985. I looked all those up. Uh, and finally, Thunderball and the party double bill that Neil saw in Uckfield was in August 1976, actually right in the middle of that famous drought. If there's anything I've missed or you have any questions uh, or you want to say anything about the show, really, uh, please drop me a line on Twitter. You can hit me up there at Kevin Markwick or on email. Actually, I've got a specific email address, podcast at picturehouseuckfield.com. Uh, and also like and subscribe if you can. It really helps so we can get this podcast out to as many people as possible. Anyway, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Let me know what you think. Um, I've got a whole bunch of really great guests lined up um, and uh, I think that I think you're going to enjoy. So uh, please, as I say, subscribe and like and all that kind of stuff. And I'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.